Pharaoh was literally giving them the chance to be his hands if they had desired to be like God. Oh, they could have used this opportunity, right? I had to be nice to these midwives because they were deciding whether my baby was going to live or not. Mm. And yet they feared God more than Mm. they feared Pharaoh. If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen, we have a few questions to ask and a few conversations to have. I am your host, Liv Dooley, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some of the women who inspire me to fall more deeply in love with the Word of God and walk in integrity in new ways every day. I am so grateful that you're here. Let's go on and get to work. Hey y'all, it's me Liv, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are back for yet another episode of The Best Kept Secret. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We have such a good conversation ahead of us, y'all, and I cannot wait to introduce you to my guest. But before we get to that, you know, we're going to be talking about the beautiful surprises that the Lord hides in the scriptures that you may not have seen before, and I am right there with you, sis. I haven't seen some of these things that we're going to be talking about before either. And that is why I am so incredibly grateful for the body of Christ. I know that there are a lot of people who are beginning to deconstruct their faith, who are beginning to turn away for a variety of reasons. And I want you to know that you have a place here if you fit into that category. We are all on a journey to learn more about Christ and Wherever you fit into that, I just want you to know that I'm grateful that you keep showing up. I know that people have begun to doubt the authorship and the content of the Bible in recent times more than before. But I have to tell y'all, when I open up this word, I am more in awe of it, more in love with it, more mm, amazed by how good God is is through it. And when we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us new things within scripture, y'all, he honors that. Today, we are going to be talking about a few themes and a few women in scripture you may not have given much attention to in the past. And I love some of these women that we're going to be talking about today because they are Africans who played an incredibly important part in history among some of the stories that we like to talk about most. Y'all, it's Black History Month, and it is one of my favorite months of the year, not only because I get to celebrate my culture, but because I love the conversation that everyone enters into about how Black history is a part of American history. Now, if you're a part of the diaspora and you're one of our sisters and brothers abroad, then I am grateful that you are here as well. Because today, as I've already mentioned, we're going to be talking about some of the Black representation, not only in the Bible, but also in the early church. I've been studying a lot about church history lately, and y'all, I'm kind of ashamed and embarrassed to say that I didn't know many of the early church fathers were African. I'm not really sure how I didn't know, but then again, 
we now know that a lot of the images and some of the history has been manipulated. And that isn't really a surprise for those of us who didn't know that they were African. However, if any of these names ring a bell, then you may have an interest to learn more about them as I do as well. Today, I am excited to continue my study on Clement, Origen, and Cyril, who were African church fathers who wrote in Greek. However, Athanasius was one of those as well. And I was so excited to find that out because I've actually quoted him before. I really have enjoyed encountering his work and some of the things that he shared. So that was super cool for me. But those were just the church fathers from Africa who wrote in Greek. Cyprian, Tertullian, and Augustine were also from North Africa, but they wrote in Latin. And my goodness, y'all, I just adore learning about church history and how multiple cultures have influenced the opportunity that we have today to belong to the body of Christ. It's my hope that we don't ever lose the fact that Jesus Christ himself has a variety of people within his lineage who also were identified as African and Gentile and Oh, y'all, it is easy to miss unless you choose to invite the Holy Spirit to show you what it is that he can do among us in our world today based upon what he's always done. We're going to meditate on Revelation 7, 9 through 10 for a moment, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. It reads, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our Lord celebrates our differences. And y'all, we talked a lot about spiritual warfare during season four, which is the opposition that we experience from the enemy that attacks and challenges our intimacy and authority in the Lord. And my goodness, one of the things that we continue to experience is that division, which is drawn among racial and ethnic lines. It's my hope that today as we begin to study this word, we would invite the Lord to show us where it is that we may have missed it, where it is that we may have grown callous to his love and his compassion for all people. It's something that I am consistently doing. And I just want you to know that I will never ask you to do anything that I am not already doing myself. Let's lean in and choose to invite the Lord to look at our hearts so that we may walk and serve and lead and love with greater integrity that reflects His every day. Mm -hmm. 
It's that time, y'all, and we are here to introduce you to another woman you should know. In prayer, you know, I was just thinking about how we can help to shine a light on some of the women who inspire and encourage us every single day of the year as we walk out this Christian life. And this segment came to mind. Tanya, who do you think we should know? Listen, y'all, I know this young woman. Her name is Naila. She's got a beautiful, lovely name. <laughs> Naila. She is a worship leader and she's known in the GTA. She serves at her church. I think it's Serve City. She is a powerful woman of God. And she's not only a worship leader who sings, she's got a beautiful voice. She has an album out. So please go check it out. We're going to link the information below. But she's not just a singer. She is a woman of the word. She leads a 40-day fast to begin the year that I was able to participate in this year. And I have realized, wow, she's not just someone who sounds pretty. She's not someone who just sounds good, but she is about the gospel and just spreading the truth of God in our lives, in our everyday lives, in our everyday walk with him. So she's got great content on IG on IG about worship, about her walk with the Lord, and some really nice reels from her country because <laughs> she's from Nevis. Um, but she's just a beautiful woman of God. She's really encouraging and she's someone that's great to connect with on 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 the work of God. So she's definitely a woman you should get to know. I can't wait for you guys to get to meet her. Mm. I loved listening to her album, Fearless and How Marvelous were two of my favorite songs. So we always need, you know, other encouraging music that helps us to grow closer to the heart of God. And I'm so grateful that you have just helped us to learn more about what Naila is doing in the world. Thank you, sis. Of course. I have really been encouraged by Naila's work and the posts that she shares on Instagram, and I hope that you will connect with her. Naila, thank you for giving us the opportunity to shout you out. One of the reasons I was excited that Tanya brought a worship artist here to the best kept secret for us to kind of shout out is because today we're going to be talking about one of the... Mm, most beautiful serenades or odes to a woman that you may not have ever considered before. No, we're not going to be talking about the Song of Solomon. I know that's where your mind went, but it may be an incredibly familiar passage of scripture that you have overlooked just like I have overlooked. And our guest is here to bring it to light. Nana Dulce holds a Master of Arts in Theological Studies and serves as a visiting lecturer at Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., where she leads the seminary's Women's Teaching Lab. She is the author of The Seed of the Woman, 30 Narratives That Point to Jesus, and she loves teaching the Bible to women and training women how to teach the Bible. Nana was born in Ghana and lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Eric, who is the Director of Discipleship at the New Macedonia Baptist Church with their children. Her prayer is that we would enjoy the grace to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, as we learn in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And you can find Nana 
at nanadolce.org. Will you please welcome Nana Dulce to the best kept secret? All right, y'all. I am so excited to get into this conversation. This uh, is really, really special to me, I have to tell you, because some of y'all know I'm an avid podcast listener, and I was having a terrible day, terrible day one day, and I got a notification that one of my favorite podcasts, The Daily Grace, had a new podcast that was released that day and it was with someone named Nana Dulce. And I was just like, oh, this name is so pretty. <laughs> and I went on and listened. And when I tell y'all, my day just got so much better. The longer that I listened to this interview and the opportunity that I had to kind of put some of the things even that I felt I was going through in perspective, it did y'all. So I hopped over on my computer, literally, like I think I was still listening to the interview. I think it had like 15 minutes left. And I reached out and today we have Nana with us. Nana, thank you so much for being here. My goodness, I appreciate your time. How are you? I am well and I am thankful to you. Thank you for this invitation oh. and for the pleasure of talking to you. Thank you. So, so excited. I have, you know, shared all the things. And we know that you are a Bible teacher. This is what you do. But we want to know, you know, where did this desire to teach women even how to teach the Bible begin? Where did this love for the word begin? Tell us all the things about how you get you got started on this journey. Absolutely. I love that question because it marks really my journey with Jesus. So I was born in Ghana, West Africa. I loved growing up in Ghana. I came to the U.S. when I was 10 years old, almost 10 years old. And I belonged initially, my family belonged to a Ghanaian church. And I will not, I'll speak for myself. I think that I was very much a cultural Christian growing up. So I went to church really just to be with people who spoke my language. People, I, I went to church to be with the Ghanaian community. And that was the extent of it. I prayed because I was supposed to. I read my Bible because I was supposed to. I didn't really have a love for it. I didn't understand it. It was more of a ritual and a duty. And I just wanted to be a good a good girl who got good grades and who, who did good things. Sophomore into, or rather freshman into sophomore year, that summer, transitioning into a sophomore, it occurred to me that there was a level of righteousness that God was demanding, expecting, requiring that my efforts to be good could not reach. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just so obvious to me, if God doesn't do this, Nana is not going to be able to do it. And I remember that day so clearly, I was literally in my room on my knees, praying, crying out to the Lord, asking him to do what I could not do by my own strength. And to give this righteousness that I know my little efforts to be good wasn't meeting that mark. And I stood up and honestly, I've been different since then. So I went back to campus and I was a Christian all this time, but I had no Christian friends. I had no community. And I was like, where are the Christians? I was looking for Bible study 
I was actually desiring to read my Bible. I remember I would do my homework, get it out the way so I would have time to spend in God's word. And there was a desire just to understand it and to take it in. I joined my first actual church, not just to be with people that, you know, my little clique, but to to actually be with the saints. And I joined a church and I think they saw a hunger. It was kind of an older congregation. So they were like, who's this girl? Who's this little girl who's always in Bible study, who's asking questions? And so they encouraged me. And, you know, the pastor encouraged me to go to seminary. They opened up classes for me to teach the youth. And that's really where it began for, for me. That's where the, yeah. That's where it began. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I honor those people that, you know, are older than us and kind of see something within us and begin to call it out and speak into it and give us opportunities, <laughs> even when it's, <laughs> it's it, you know, even when it's obvious that we need some extra help and all of the things, you know, they're just so kind. But I want to ask you, how did you, you know, then decide to study the Bible and go to school, you know, to study the word and really begin to even write this book. How did you really find the inspiration for that as you got entrenched in community? Absolutely. So what I would say is um, studying the Bible and even going to seminary was the thing that I, I had to do. It's like the thing that I've heard people say, like, I don't know, when I, when I run, I feel God's pleasure or when I write, I feel it's, it's, it's the one thing I remember I graduated and I had a job uh, in DC. I'm here in Washington, DC is where I live. And I, I had a, I had a little nonprofit job. If I wrote, wrote it out, it could have, you know, it was promising, but I remember thinking one day I could spend my life doing this. I could just do my little nine to five and it would probably be fine. But what I, if I, if I could do anything right now, I would study God's word. And really motivated to go to seminary. And I took two years and I did it full time and I finished it before I was married, before I had children. And I'm so thankful I did that because it would have just been so much harder now. It's still very possible, but it would have been more difficult. But it's the thing that I that I had to do. I love to study God's word and I love to teach it to others. That book, The Genesis for the Seed of the Woman, actually came through just local church ministry. And so I had a small group of women. My husband is the director of discipleship at our church, and we live right next door to the church. And so life at home and church life is kind of mingled for us. And I had a small group of young women for two years after church on Sundays. They would just come across the street to my home. We would have sweet tea. We would have macaroni and cheese. We would eat. Yes. sit on my couch. Yes. <laughs> um, I love food and I love yes. God. So we just brought it together. And that's my idea of a good time. And so, yeah, for two years, we just walked through the scriptures. My hope was to give these women a sense of the story of scripture. I wanted to walk through the Bible with them and help them to see the big story of the Bible, the meta narrative of scripture. And so I know that we're women and we love the stories of women. And so we decided to use the stories of women in the Bible as our stopping point as we told the bigger story of scripture. So yes, we're focusing on these individual women, but our ultimate goal is to is to tell a big story through the, the smaller stories of these of these women. And so yeah. it took two years to do that. When I saw the benefit of it, we we were fed, 
richly. We benefited from it. We were challenged. We were encouraged. And I knew that it might be something that might encourage other women outside of my local church. Yeah, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I love how it just kind of rose up from, you know, what you were already doing, your daily life, your study, your your commitment to the women. That is beautiful. I will share y'all. I have never shared this before, but every couple of weeks, a new packet from a new seminary pops up at my house because I've been constantly putting in informational request forms and everything for over a year now. And my husband is probably so curious, like, what on earth is this? What is she doing? But I have an intense desire to study as well. However, I'm just like, yo, Lord, I don't know. I don't know when this is going to happen. So Jesus speak, but that is so precious. So thank you. You know, the seed of the woman is just this beautiful book. And I really, really enjoyed the 30 narratives that you shared through it. There were some angles that you took that I was just like, this is poetic. This is beautiful. There are, you know, speakers now that are speaking about Eve and about just the opportunity we have to find redemption in our own stories through her. However, I had not ever heard anyone tell her story and just this, you know, this narrative that is woven throughout the beginning of Genesis like you. You share that the Bible introduces human speech with a serenade to woman. Will you please talk to us about this? Absolutely. So God, we know that he makes this man first, right? This Adam, and literally the Hebrew word for man is Adam. And so he makes this, this man and he puts him in this garden to work it. And we hear nothing from him. And so in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, or rather in Genesis 1, it's just this account, right, of, of the different places that God is making, and then he's filling them. And then in Genesis 2, he creates, we get a closer account of the making of the man. Um, and he, when he makes man, the very first thing that Adam says, and this is before the fall. So the only word we hear from Adam prior to the fall is this serenade, this song, this ode that he, he recites to the woman that is brought to him. And that's Genesis 2. Uh, 28, it says, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, and these are the words, right? That greet Eve, fill mm. her ears as she is brought to life and given to this man is literally a serenade and ode. Uh, and is the only words pre-fall that we ever hear from the man. And it's the first thing he ever says. So human speech is the serenade to the woman. Yeah. I just love that so much. It really does make me look at those three verses, you know, those uh, three mm -hmm. stanzas rather just so different. My goodness, you continue to talk 
about what unfolds there. Mm -hmm. And you share that the animal that the couple had been created to rule was now schooling woman and questioning God. And that just made me think about all of the things that we have been created to rule that we are now allowing to influence us. Can you talk to us about what God showed you through the narrative of Eve? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the scriptures call a deception uh, that she was literally deceived. Um, and so she, along with the man, are called to have dominion. Uh, they are co-rulers, right? They are called to, uh, they are giving a mandate, the, a mandate. They're made in God's image and they're called to reflect and mirror God. And so in the same way we see God literally stalking the earth and filling it, they are called to stalk the earth and to fill it and to have dominion over over all of it. Uh, but this animal, this snake, this talking snake comes um, and it's almost, I love, I you know, in the book, I call it how, um, you know, how somebody who loves to gossip a little bit, mm -hmm. they'll come to you <laughs> and they're not gonna straight out just kind of say it, but they'll kind of probe a little bit. Did they say, oh, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like that. Oh, they're gossip. Uh, so he throws out that question and she's like, no, he didn't say, you know, oh, well, no, he said um, not to not to eat from the, the tree, but not even to touch it, which is interesting because God hadn't said anything about touching it. So she alters God's word right there. She adds a little prohibition that God hadn't given. And then from there, he says, no, that's not true. So she, the snake literally tells her that God is lying, that God cannot be trusted. And she's, and she's deceived enough to consider it, to mm -hmm. look at the tree. And it says that she desired it, like it looked, it looked good to her eyes. And what's fascinating to me is that all the other trees that God had given them, when you read Genesis 2, verse 9, it says, and out of the ground that the Lord God made to, sp he is to spring up every tree, that is pleasant to the sight and mm. good for food. Mm -hmm. so not only were the trees that she could eat from, not only were they delicious, but they were pleasant to the sight. Mm -hmm. And she took her eyes from those and looked at the one, the only one that she wasn't supposed to eat from. And that's the one that looked good to her, which is just amazing to me. You know, I always... I have little kids and what I tell them, I have to remind myself also, because, you know, there's a lot that my kids could have, but sometimes the one toy that somebody else is playing with, that's the one that they want. And I have to remind them, but look at all the ones that are available to you. Um, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes, right? Like Nana, look at all the things that God has done. Why focus on the one thing? Yeah. Hold your perspective, right? And look at all the things that are good for the sight instead of sometimes focusing on the one thing. Maybe there's a certain, um, I don't know, there's a certain, you know, I've written a book and the, and the hope is to share it with people. Yeah. Let me be thankful for all the doors the Lord has opened instead mm -hmm. of looking at the one that is still closed yeah. that I'm trying to get to. So just changing my perspective. Yeah. I'm trying to remember to keep my eyes on, on, on the generosity of God is narrowing it in a way that might lead me to sin. Yeah, Eve definitely does that. She believes the snake and looks at this one tree and it said that it looked good to her instead of all the other trees that were not only delicious, but also good for the sight. Mm -hmm. So she takes it and uh, eats it, gives some to 
Adam, who's right there, by the way, mm-hmm. says not a mumbling word, but they eat, they eat from it. And there we have the cosmic fall that brings about what theologians call the original sin. And so all of us now are the children of Adam and Eve, and we're born into a broken, sinful world where we are naturally sinners because of the the bite of this one fruit that they took. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but thank the Lord, the story does not end there. (laughs) My goodness. And so the name for the book actually comes from this promise that the Lord makes to Eve as he shares that the seed of this woman is going to crush Satan's head. And and you talk a little bit about how this is the Proto-Evangelon first gospel announcement. Can you talk to us about how you just came up with the title, how you felt inspired, and then what it is that I suppose you've done through the 30 narratives that you yeah genesis 3 is amazing i think we when we think of it often we we and obviously we focus on the fall we focus on that sin which is a big deal and so uh, yes let's focus on that but god's mercy in the shadow of our sin god's mercy is just as amazing (laughs) in genesis 3 i love how this woman who was deceived by this serpent who, by the way, deserved death. That's what God had promised. He said that the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And yet at the end of Genesis three, she is called not mother mother of the dead, but mother of the living. Mm. It's amazing. So God like inserts her into his drama of redemption. So this woman that the snake tried to become an ally to, to deceive her into sin, God says, well, she's actually going to have a seed that will be your enemy and that will crush your head. There will be pain. You know, she will bear children in pain. Adam will eat of the ground in pain. This is the first time we're hearing the word pain and is repeated throughout for the man and the woman. There'll be thorns. There'll be thistles. At the end, they're being driven out into east of Eden, into the wilderness. All of that is true. And yet all of that comes after the promised hope of this savior that will be born of the woman. I love how he didn't say he's going to be the seed of the man. He's going to be the seed of the woman. He inserts her right into his drama of redemption. And then she is covered with this, you know, along with Adam, she is covered with clothing at the end. She doesn't have to wear withering leaves that will, you know, dry up and be blown by the wind but she is covered by a cloak, you know, uh, basically the first outfit, <laughs> a clothing yeah. of God's ma- own making, God handmade clothes covering her. Uh, and the woman who is serenaded at the beginning is covered at the end, inserted into the drama of God's redemption. And there will be this savior, this offspring born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent and I am imagining Eve leaving that garden. She is brokenhearted. I am. I can't imagine how I would feel mm. if I was Eve. And yet she doesn't leave empty-handed. She is clothed. And she's also leaving with the promise, this hope of this coming seed. And that's what she has to rest on. That's, that will be her consolation east of Eden in the wilderness. And God doesn't send them alone. He follows them with that promise because the mother of the living will soon actually give birth to children. 
and they don't die right away. They will die eventually, but they live to see many, many, many days because God's grace is always more than our sins. He always gives us less than we deserve. He is that good. He's that kind. He's that merciful. He's that gracious. And he's that committed to the beginning of the Bible is how the Bible will end. God dwelling with his people, that plan from the very beginning, there is sin that mars that, but it doesn't cancel it out. He is going to initiate this redemption plan that will bring that fulfillment at the end. And it will come through this one that is called the seed of the woman. And so the book will trace that from Eve all the way to Mary. Mm. This is why y'all, this is why I needed her to walk through (laughs) Genesis with us the first three chapters, because I know y'all, I know y'all are feeling all the feels right now as we meditate on just how good and faithful and kind our God is. I think we can often, you know, overlook the small nuances and the new revelations that the Lord wants to bring out of some of these, you know, these narratives that we've read from the beginning of our time in the Lord. But my goodness, I just thank you, Nana, for what you have shared with us. It has been so rich. As we move forward into the book, I wanna ask, how did you choose the women whom you included in this book? Sis, it is time for you to start communicating confidently about God's truth. And I am here to help you do that. Whether you want to begin launching your own podcast or you want to recognize your areas of strength and the opportunities of growth you have, you can find a variety of resources in the show notes below as well as at livedooly.com. It's there that you can access the seven podcasting essentials that I cannot do without, as well as the confidence quiz that I've prepared just for you. Now, go be great. Absolutely. So I wanted to include women Again, that would help me tell a bigger story beyond their individual stories. So I chose women who come within certain historical periods of Israel's history in the Old Testament. I wanted to talk about some of the matriarchs of Genesis. Um, I wanted to talk about women of the Exodus, women in the time of the judges, women in the time of the kings, women, uh, particularly one, Esther, in the time of the exile, and then lead us right into Elizabeth. Uh, and then and then Mary. So I chose women that would help tell the story of the Old Testament through their individual narratives. Hmm. That is so good. That is so good. And my goodness, there are some there, ladies, that you might not have really paid attention to in the past. That it's those women who have my heart. And so let's talk a little bit about Shifra and Pua, if you don't mind, because I really appreciate what you brought out about these two women that have such an integral part in uh, just ensuring that this line is secure. Mm-hmm. So I lead the Exodus women were some of my favorite in this book. All five of them, I think, are amazing. First of all, I love how, you know, when we think of the Exodus, we think of Moses. Mm -hmm. And Moses is the author of Exodus. He's the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. So he is telling this story of the Exodus. And it's almost like he cannot get this story going until he tells you about these women who actually saved his life. So 
So he's going to be the mediator of the exodus of God's people, the deliverer in a sense, right? And yet he's the one rescued by these five women, um, with the first being Shifra and Pua. And this is from Exodus 1. Um, and I love Exodus 1. When we get to Exodus 1, if you've, if you've been reading your Bible from Genesis, every character, every human character we met is now dead. They're mm -hmm. all dead. And so you're thinking, okay, will God's promise still be fulfilled? So he promised, yes, the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, but then he came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, I will bring, I will continue this promise through you. This offspring will come through you and there'll be this major nation. And through this nation, I'll bring a blessing to all the nations of the world, uh, all the nations of the earth. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And so you're thinking, okay, will this continue in Exodus? Um, and to thicken the plot, there's this Pharaoh who is literally a serpent figure because he wears a crown, like cultural context tells us that Pharaoh wears a crown literally with a serpent on it. And he wants to swallow Israel, right? He wants to suppress their numbers. Uh, so the patriarchs are dead. He's enslaving them. He, he's ruthless. What will happen? But constantly in Exodus 1, you hear, but, but, but. The patriarchs are dead, but Israel is multiplying. Pharaoh is ruthless, but Israel is multiplying. Pharaoh looks to these midwives. They're supposed to deliver children, and yet he gives them the task of actually killing the children, literally being his hands at the stool to smother them. And when I think about Shifra and Pua, I wonder if these two lowly Hebrew midwives had desired power. Pharaoh was literally giving them the chance to be his hands. If they had desired to be like God's, oh, they could have used this opportunity, right? I had to be nice to these midwives because they were deciding whether my baby was going to live or not. Mm. And yet they feared God more than mm. they feared Pharaoh. I almost see them doing what Eve didn't do. The serpent came to her promising that she would be like God. And this serpent king comes to these two women, literally giving them a chance to have that kind of power. And yet they give God the reverence and the fear that Eve didn't. They feared God and they let the Hebrew boys live. And so what happens at the end of the narrative, Israel continues to multiply through these two women. And also God gives them families and they multiply. So it's like whatever Pharaoh does, it doesn't work. The vast nation that God promised Abraham, God is bringing it to pass. It doesn't matter the threat or the force. What an encouragement that is to us today. Um, whatever the threat, whatever the force, God's promises to his church prevails. We can be encouraged. We can fear God and not the forces because our God's word comes to pass. We can be encouraged. Women who fear God. Oh. That is a word. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. You don't have to fear what you see going on all around. You don't have to fear, just fear God. I had never thought about the opportunity that they had to yeah. be Pharaoh's hands, you know, on that ground. And had they really desired power, that that would have went a lot differently. And I just appreciate how much time you have spent with the word, how many questions you've asked and how you've just allowed our God to speak to you because it is really 
really, I think, helping us to do so much more than just learn about these women, but to even question, you know, our motives and some of the things that tempt us as well to really consider if we had been in the same position, would we have made those same choices and how would it have gone with us, you know? So I I am just so grateful for how you've really just dug into this scripture and pulled out so many different pieces for us. Um, the enemy, you know, it's just, it was always, he was always after the seed of the woman. And we find that again and again and again in scripture. And I have just found that the women throughout the Bible have dealt with intense spiritual warfare. I mean, whether they were fighting to preserve their own lives or the lives of their children, because they were bearing, you know, these, um, these men who the Messiah would come through it was just uh, a lot and i want to ask if you could tell us a little bit about how you have just learned um possibly how to fight in prayer for these from these women or how to battle spiritual warfare from these women any of that because i, I know i know there's some things that the lord has shown you <laughs> one word answer i'll say more but one word prayer yes Oh my, um, I, yeah, my children have gotten used to me literally just on the kitchen floor getting on my knees and praying, um, pray, let's pray. Um, God invites us. I'm thinking of Hebrew. I want to say it's Hebrew four, Hebrew five, where we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive help in our time of need. We have a God who welcomes our prayers. He doesn't get tired of our prayers. Um, he encourages us to pray. Um, and I have learned to pray and to pray about everything, to pray about everything. So even when I think about spiritual warfare, I think that there's different, uh, there's different ways in which that can look. One of, the, one of the things I want to be always careful with is Nana's own heart or the ways in which uh, the enemy might be using my own attitudes, my emotions in my marriage and my home and the way I think about other people. Um, I, want the, I want the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart to be acceptable and pleasing before the Lord. Um, I want to be a woman who walks in a manner that is worthy of my savior. Um, I want to be careful in that. And I am learning to pray. I am learning to pray and to pray for myself and to let my battle be prayer through prayer, even for Nana's part in the way that I react to situations. Um, I want to be someone who is loving God with all her heart, all her mind, all her soul, all her strength and loving my neighbor as myself. And that is hard. Sometimes that is very hard. Um, it is, it is, it's, it's hard, but the Lord welcomes our prayers and he answers them. I've been astonished. Um, I've been astonished by my own attitude change, mind change, heart change from one situation, then prayer and after, um, and seeing the answered prayers for, for my own, for my own heart. Uh, so I don't want the enemy to win on the battlefield of how I love the Lord and how I love others. Um, and prayer is a, is a weapon in, in that fight. 
That is so good. That is so good. Because when we pray, he just changes us. He changes everything about us. It's impossible to pray and to humble yourself before him and not get up from that space and be changed. That is so good. Oh, I want to thank you for your time. Y'all, we didn't hit, as you can see, on, I mean, even a fraction of the women that she covers. You have to get this book. Your study will be enriched the way you see God's movement in and through eternity, including your own life, will be enriched. And it is truly going to lead you, I believe, to begin to develop a lifestyle that would honor these women that have gone before us. Nana, where can we get this book? Where can we connect with you? Tell us all the things. Absolutely. So it is on Amazon, The Seed of the Woman. Uh, 30 narratives that point to Jesus. It's on Amazon. It's also with the publisher. So 10ofthose.com um, is where you would find it through the publisher. Um, you can get directly to both of those through my website. It's just nanadulce.org. So very easy, nanadulce.org. Beautiful, beautiful. And before we head out, I do want to ask you a couple of secrets. I want to ask you, uh, what do you do to slow down in this fast-paced culture? You know, are there any affirmations that you put around your wall or in your space? Are there any rhythms you include in your day? What are you doing to remember That's, to slow down? Yeah, one of the things, uh, a couple of things. Uh, one thing I am trying to be consistent in, because it can be so easy mm-hmm. to neglect our reading of scripture. I, I probably sound like a well, I don't know if I sound like a broken record at this point, but um, I am trying to be consistent in my reading of scripture. So one of the things I've been doing since the beginning of the year, and I say this as someone who for a couple years, uh, so we read the Bible as a family. And I made that my excuse for why I wasn't personally reading the Bible myself. Um, and, And it's just important for me in the morning before I start with emails before I start with other things that I have to get to and that checklist just to take a moment and read one chapter. Um, and so I've been going between Old, Te- uh, Old Testament book and then maybe the next month or however long it takes me to read it, a New Testament book. So just going between the Old and New Testament, just reading one chapter in the morning um, and then praying around that chapter. So even as I think about the importance of prayer, letting my prayer be informed by the scripture that I'm reading. Um, so it sounds simple. We've all heard it before, <laughs> but um, taking a moment in the morning just to take God's word in to spend, uh, you know, a few moments with him yeah. in prayer. Um, yeah. yeah. And then trying to work out. I don't always get to do it, but mm-hmm. that is also something that helps that helps to um, to give energy to de-stress and to and to help. Absolutely. Help That is good. And you know, you can never hear it too much. You can't. There was a time in my life I was getting up out of the bed and I was just hitting the ground running, you know, and I have a feeling that one or two of our sisters might be there right now. So y'all listen up. (laughs) It's time to get back in that word. It's time to have a slow morning. It's time to let God speak to you. Now, what book are you reading right now? Like what book of the Bible would you say you're in right now? So right now I'm in Nehemiah. I mean, I read Ezra and because the two of them go so closely together, 
um, I started to read Nehemiah as well. Um, and man, there is no book in the Bible where you cannot see glimpses of the gospel, where you can't see glimpses of grace, where it doesn't ultimately point to Jesus. Um, and I'm finding that to be true, even in a book like Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, so I love that. I love that all of God's word ultimately centers on Jesus and is telling one big overarching story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And lastly, what is bringing a smile to your face these days? Yes. Well, that's an easy one. My family just adopted a little boy um, through foster care. He's been with us since he was three weeks old. Uh, he's 18 months now. And uh, two Thursdays ago, two weeks ago, the judge officially declared that he would be my baby boy oh. forever. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Oh my goodness. That is so sweet and so precious. Uh, it's bringing a smile to all of our faces right now. <laughs> Would you pray us out as we prepare to go? I'm so incredibly grateful for you. Absolutely grateful for you too, sister. Thank you. Our father, we thank you because you are good you are good. What love that we should be called the children of God. You have redeemed us by the precious blood of your son. Uh, and you are pleased with us. You are pleased with us because of Jesus. So even as we think about all the ways we could be better, we've been told to read our Bibles in the morning and to pray more. Um, and all of those things are, are good. And your spirit helps us with that. But ultimately, you're pleased with us because we are in your son. Uh, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our hope. We thank you that he um, gives us your spirit who enables us to progressively get better in these things. And there is a day coming when there will be ultimate sanctification, ultimate glorification, where we will be without sin and we will dwell with you forever. And so we are looking forward to that day. Help us to press forward um, and show us uh, your goodness and your good hand that is upon us. And so we just thank you. We love you and we are grateful for you. Help us to abide in love with you and with each other in Jesus name. Amen. Amen and amen. <sighs> Didn't that conversation just make you want to get into your word? I know I can't wait to just find some time with God to study his word. If this conversation helped you in any way, would you please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible and leave a review? It would truly help others to find this conversation. Now, in between time, I am at Candid Live, and it would be a pleasure to do life with you. I'll talk with you soon. Love you.